Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. This episode will cover section 18 of the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm going to jump right in here with some historical background, uh, reading an excerpt from the history of the church. Um, so this is after, obviously, John the Baptist in section 13 came. He'd also promised that they would uh, confer, that they would be getting the hired priesthood. And so Joseph and Oliver were curious about that. And now the history of the church excerpt says now became uh, Joseph and Oliver now became anxious to be to have that promise realized to us, which the angel that conferred upon us the Aaronic priesthood had given us. That provided we continue faithful, we should also have the Melchizedek priesthood, which holds the authority of the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, we had for some time made this matter a subject of humble prayer, and at length we got together in the chamber of Mister Whitmer's house in order. Uh, more particularly to seek the Lord, uh, what we now so earnestly desired. And here, to our unspeakable satisfaction, did we realize the truth of the Savior's promise. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I'm going to pause there, and I'm going to come back to this excerpt in just a second, because I want to point out a couple things. So, one thing we learn already here is that this this process of getting the section 18 revealed to them, and which then led later to Peter, James, and John appearing, giving the Melchizedek Priesthood, Confronting the Melchizedek priesthood, and then the calling of apostles. This is a process. They had asked multiple times. John the Baptist came and said, "This this is a preparatory priesthood I'm giving you. you. You continue to be worthy. Continue down your path, and you'll get the Melchizedek priesthood, the higher priesthood." So the Lord, you can see the way the Lord works is that He sent John, Aaronic priesthood, preparing them. They then went through a process themselves of seeking to be worthy and praying and asking, not getting answers for it yet, but continuing to seek. That's how it's going to be in your life, in our life, in my life, that the Lord is going to prepare us little by little, and we may not get the answers we're seeking because we may not be ready for them yet. We may need to ask the right questions in an iterative type of way, iterations, meaning ask this, ask question A to get answer A, which then leads you to think about about question B, and you ask question B, and you get answer B, and so on and so on. When when what we're really looking to get to is Z, but we can't just ask question Z because there's A through everything else between it, right? And the Lord guides us along that path. The next thing I want to point out is that, as he said, to our unspeakable satisfaction did we realize the truth of the Savior's promise, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's the story of the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm going to come back to that here in a bit. Um, but that really is the story of of the Doctrine and Covenants. Asking, seeking, knocking, and the Lord responding. And if we want to, if there's one thing you learn from this year in the Doctrine and Covenants, it's I would encourage it to be that if you ask, you will get an answer. And how does the Lord answer? That's the other thing is look at the words of the Lord. Uh, and we'll actually talk about that uh, a bit uh, later as well. Um, so going back into this historical context, back into the excerpt from the history of the church. For we had not long been engaged in solemn and fervent prayer when the word of the Lord came unto us in the chamber, commanding us that I should ordain Oliver Cowdery to be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ, and that he should also ordain me to that same office, and then to ordain others, as it should be made known unto us from time to time. We were, however, commanded to defer this, our ordination, until such times as it should be practical uh, to have our brethren, who have been and who should be baptized, assembled together when we must have their sanction 
to uh, are thus proceeding to ordain each other, and have them decide by vote whether they were willing to accept us as spiritual teachers or not. When also we were commanded to bless and bread and break it with them, we take and to take wine and bless it and drink it with them. Afterward, proceed to ordain each other according to the commandment. Then call out such men as the Spirit should dictate and ordain them, and then attend to the laying out of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost upon all those whom we had previously baptized, doing all things in the name of the Lord. The following commandment will further illustrate the nature of our calling to this priesthood as well as that uh, of others who are yet to be sought after. What's the following commandment? In Revelation, section 18. So that was Joseph Smith's words about what led to section 18 and what and the context of section 18. So there's additional things that happened. They get they received section 18, record it, but also they had received word that they were going to be ordained elders, but not to do it yet, that there was going to be a need to gather together. And, uh, you know, there's more and more there that I'm not going to rehash, but the Lord gave them additional insight. Um, so section 18 um, as we go through this, we're going to go like I, I nor- normally do, kind of just pick a few verses here. Uh, verse 3, uh, And if you know that they are true, behold, I give unto you a commandment that you rely upon the things which are written. I have that marked in a few notes in my scriptures just as a reminder to me that uh, it's kind of a reminder of the same thing that if you, many of you might recall um President Uchtdorf, then President Uchtdorf's talk uh, about uh, doubting your doubts before you doubt your faith. If the Book of Mormon is true, remember that. Questions may arise, right? And uh, this, the reason I'm even thinking in this line of thought is because Section 19, Martin Harris is going to be corrected again for some of his questions and doubting and things. Um, and so just in that context of the studying this week, I have that on my mind, but that's what, that's what the Lord is saying here. Rely upon the things which are written there. If they're true, if the Bible, if the Bible as we have it is true and, uh, you know, as far as it's translated correctly, rely on it. The doctrine of covenants, rely on it. The words of the prophets, rely on them. There are questions that you will undoubtedly encounter in your life that you can't answer, that you won't find the immediate answer to. But just because there's something you can't answer doesn't mean that there aren't other answers. doesn't mean that the other things that you know aren't true. I give unto you a commandment that you rely upon the things which are written. Trust them. Rely on them. As we move on, we get into the verses that are, I think, the meat of the section. And I say that because it's, when I think of section 18, it's what I think of. Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. For behold, the Lord your Redeemer suffereth de- suffered death in the flesh, wherefore he suffered in the, the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. And he hath risen again from dead, the dead, that he might bring all men unto him on the conditions of repentance. So a couple of things I want to point out before I dive into this and go down and start sharing some, some thoughts with you. First is, and uh, come follow me, Manuel points this out, uh, as you read about repentance and the the worth of souls in uh, in this section, like how often it's they're they're associated with joy and rejoicing and glad things. Uh, Come follow me. Mentions this talk by Elder Renlund. Repentance is joyful. I highly recommend that. There's another uh, talk. I actually don't remember if it's called this, but I know that he says this in it. Uh, Stephen Owens. I think he was the young. He was in the young men's uh, general presidency. Um, 
But his the line is, and I have it written down on my scriptures here on this page, repentance is always positive. It's always a joyful thing. The process might be difficult depending on how you know what we've done and what well and the process is difficult always too. I would say I'll say that. That's it. Repentance isn't easy, but it's always positive and it's always a joyful thing. There's always a, a joyful fruit, especially especially at the end. But even throughout the process, there are there is joy to be had. And you'll see that as you study this week's section, in section 18 especially, um, about and how the Lord speaks of repentance. Uh, section 10 and really through 16 teach us that, that the worth of souls is great. And Elder Roger Clausen of the Quorum of the Twelve, this is, comes from a, a conference talk in 1901. He said, And how are we to determine the value of souls? This matter has been determined for us also by revelation. The souls of men are so precious in the sight of God that he gave to the world his only begotten Son, that by the shedding of his blood he might draw all men unto him, that we might that that is why the great prophet of this dispensation, Joseph Smith, and those others, John Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery, and David Whitmer, and the rest were called to bring souls unto Christ. And if one of these men should labor all the days and bring save it be but one soul unto Christ, and that one should be his wife, what great joy he would have with his wife in heaven. Then if he should labor all his days and bring unto Christ the souls of his wife and his children and none else perchance, how great would his joy in heaven uh, with his uh, be with his wife and his children. And verse 16 says, how, uh, how great will your joy be if you're, if, oh, he said, excuse me. And now if your joy will be great with one soul that you have brought into unto me in the kingdom of my father, how great will be your joy if, you're, if you should bring many souls unto me. The worth of a soul is so great that you would receive joy for, for bringing just one soul. And here's the beautiful thing about this. There just so happens to be one soul in the entire existence of God's creation that you have control over to bring unto the Father, and that is you. If no one else follows your example, if no one else heeds your warnings and heeds your call to repentance, your joy will still be great because your soul is worth that much to our Father in heaven. His work and his glory is to bring to pass the eternal life and immortality of man. You. That applies to you. It's really easy to sit in a chair and maybe in a pew in church and you hear the prophet speak or you hear these words of the of these types of scriptures spoken and you say, yeah, it applies to the guy next to me or the sister next to me. But it applies to you. Jesus Christ, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis shares this thought. I'm going to kind of, it's actually several thoughts that he shares, so I'm going to kind of combine them into one thought. But that is, when Christ was suffering in Gethsemane on the cross, Time is only measured unto man, right? When he suffered and he saw his seed as Isaiah taught us in Isaiah chapter 53, there was a time, and I use that loosely because, again, time is only counted to man. When he was alone with you and he saw you in your face, and he willingly bore your sins and your transgressions and your infirmities and your sicknesses and your pains and your afflictions and your temptations. Had you been the only face that he saw because you were the only one of his seed that he that would accept him, 
he still would have gone through with it. As we study in the next episode, in the next chapters, chapter 19, to, to realize what that means and what his suffering was, that becomes even more impactful. But remember that the worth of souls is great, but the worth of that means that the worth of your soul is great. President Monson uh, shared a story in uh, a conference talk in October 1994 called My Brother's Keeper. He said, In March of 1967, early in my service as a member of the Council of the Twelve, I was attending a conference in the Mountain Monument Park West Stake in Salt Lake City. My companion for the general conference or for the conference, was a member of the General Church Welfare Committee, Paul C. Child. When it was his opportunity to participate, President Child took in hand the Doctrine and Covenants and left the pulpit to stand among the priesthood brethren to whom he was directing. He turned to section 18. President Child then raised his eyes from the scriptures and asked the brethren, what is the worth of a human soul? He avoided calling on a bishop, a stake president, or high counselor for response. Instead, he selected the president of an elder's quorum, a brother who had been a bit drowsy and had missed the significance of the question. The startled man responded, Brother Child, would you please repeat the question? The question was repeated, What is the worth of a human soul? I prayed fervently for that quorum president. He remained silent for what seemed like an eternity when Brother Child when then he declared, Brother Child, the worth of a human soul is its capacity to become God. Become as God. All present pondered that reply. Brother Child returned to the stand, leaned over to me and said, A profound reply. A profound reply. He proceeded with his message, but I continued to reflect on that inspired response. President Monson later declared, We have the responsibility to see individuals not as they are, but rather as they can become. I would plead with you to think of them in this way. And again, I, and again, this, again, 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 as much for me as for you. But that this applies. Often we hear this words, right? I would plead with you to think of them in this way. And it, it, for a reason, it's to encourage charity, right? It's to encourage us to see others as God sees them, which is undoubtedly a great thing. But sometimes lost in that is seeing ourselves as God sees us. Seeing you as God sees you. So I read again with some modification. We have the responsibility to see ourselves not as we are, but rather as we may become. I plead with you to think of you in this way. So as I've mentioned, this this section has a lot to do with repentance and repenting and crying repentance. Verses 15 and 16 says, And if it so be, you should labor all your days in crying repentance. So what does that mean? What does it mean to cry repentance? Elder Anderson has said, Crying repentance simply means helping people return to God. That's it. And if you think of it that way, then it becomes it becomes easier to cry repentance in our daily lives. It becomes easier in our interactions to invite others to uh to change to see simple ways in which they can change if we think of it as saying hey you need to repent that becomes a pretty difficult task and pill to swallow to have to say that to our co-workers and, fa- and friends and family that we uh, relate with every day but when as elder nelson said it we think of it as simply helping people return to god well, there are small, simple ways that we can do that. There are small, simple lessons that we can teach them and, and nuggets of truth that we can share with them on a daily basis that can help do that. Um, 
verse 20, I wanted to just point out, there's a quote from Elder McConkie I found about this. Um, and then also something from uh, Church History and Modern Revelation about what is the Church of the Devil. Uh, Elder McConkie said, The titles Church of the Devil and Great and Abominable Church are used to identify all churches or organizations of whatever name or nature, whether political, philosophical, educational, economic, social, fraternal, civic, or religious, which are designed to take men on a course that leads them away from God and his laws, and thus from salvation in the kingdom of God. So this definition explains why Nephi taught that there, quote, are saved two churches only. One is of the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God belongeth to that great church. Close quote. In the scriptures, Satan's kingdom is called by various names. Babylon, the great and abominable church, the mother of all harlots, the church of the devil, the kingdom of the devil. It is therefore the obligation of the saints to stand against evil wherever it may be found. The method of doing so is clear. According to Joseph Fielding Smith, all who go forth to teach should do so in wisdom and not contend with the churches or engage in profitless debates, but teach in the spirit of kindness and in, and try to persuade people to receive the truth. And so as you read verses 20 and 21, it talks about the church of the devil, but also not contending. Um uh, again, from the history of the church, uh, says uh, the word contend carries with the, the, the idea of debate, striving, struggling, and even quarreling and uh, disputing. The Savior taught that such a method of doing missionary work is contrary to the principles of the gospel. 35 11, contention is not of me, right? The prophet Joseph Smith taught the same principle. He said, and this is from the history of the church, the elders would go forth and each must stand for himself to go in all meekness and sobriety and preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, not, con- not to contend with others on account of their faith or systems of religion, but to pursue a steady course. This I delivered by way of commandment, and all who so who observe it uh, not will pull down persecution upon their heads, while those who do shall always be filled with the Holy Ghost. This I pronounced as a prophecy and sealed with Hosanna and Amen. So, what does crying repentance means? It means helping people return to God. Understanding what the church of the devil is, meaning that we just need to understand that evil exists in different places. It's not a specific denomination of a church. It's all places, as Elder McConkie said, political, philosophical, educational, economic, social, fraternal, civic, or religious, which are designed to take men on a course that leads them away from God and his laws. Um, sections 34 through 36. So, uh, I'm going to read them and then I'm going to share a couple of thoughts. These words are not of men nor of man, but of me. Wherefore, you shall not testify. You shall, it's important, important mess up there, Jarrett. Wherefore, you shall testify that they are of me and not of man. For it is my voice which speaketh them unto you. For they are given of, of me by my spirit unto you and by my power. And you can read them one to another, save it were by my power you could not have them. Wherefore, you can testify that you have heard my voice and know my words. These words are his words. So as we study these words, what do we hear? We hear his voice. Think of President Nelson and hearing him. The story of the Doctrine and Covenants is that if we ask, he will answer. And we learn through the Doctrine and Covenants how he answers, how to recognize his voice. What does it look like? As we study the scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants, 
in the Bible, in the Book of Mormon, as we study the scriptures, as we study the words of the prophets, those are all ways in which we hear him. Elder Bednar has said that the scriptures are the pre-recorded voice of the Lord. If we want to hear him, if we're not sure how to hear him, if our life gets too crazy and hectic and we feel like we feel the inner turmoil inside of us that we don't feel like we can hear him speak to us, pick up the scriptures. Pick up the Book of Mormon especially, I would say, because to me, the Book of Mormon, because of its origin, because it was compiled by a prophet of God, by wisdom and inspiration and by the, the promptings of the Spirit, was placed in the ground by another prophet of God, was then taken up out of that ground by a prophet of God, didn't go through a process of translation and iteration. To me, the Book of Mormon has been in my life a pure vehicle for the Spirit so that I can calm that inner turmoil. I can uh, have that Spirit and I can hear the Word of the Lord. But again, also the Doctrine and Covenants is, is very similar in that it came directly from from prophets, from God to prophets to us. It's his word. It is how one way and one important way in which we can hear him. Elder S. Dilworth Young, this comes from 1963, said, In 1835, the twelve were chosen, as you know, and on one occasion they were called together and given their instructions. Oliver Cowdery was the spokesman, and after having given them some very powerful and heartwarming instructions, so moved was he himself that he had to stop two or three times to weep. Finally, he read the Revelation, which is now section 18 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Brigham Young was so impressed by it that he copied into his laborious handwriting into his diary. I am impressed by it likewise. These are the words. The thing that impresses me about this is, and I have never thought about it before, when I read a verse in the Doctrine and Covenants, I am hearing the voice of the Lord as well as reading his words if I, uh, if I hear by the Spirit. Now I have heard it said many times by men that they have often asked the Lord for a special testimony and oftentimes haven't had it. They seem to want to hear the voice of the Lord. I confess I have often wanted to hear the voice of the Lord. Without knowing all these years, I have been hearing it with deaf ears. This woke me up. The words of the scriptures, the words of the prophets are his words. So if you've never seen an angel, and an angel's never spoken to you, but you've read the Book of Mormon, You've heard the word of the Lord. If God has never appeared to you and spoken out loud to you, but you've studied the Doctrine and Covenants, you've heard his word and you've heard his voice. If you've never even even had a clear, you, you don't feel like you've ever had a clear even impression in your mind that you can say like that was from God, but you have listened to the voice of the prophet, you have heard and listened to the voice of God. You've heard him. To me, you know, I thought of, I, t I told you that when I thought of the meat of section 18, it's that the worth of souls is great, and it's this repentance, and I, I, I stick stand by that. But after this study this week, this, this came to me powerfully. The, wherefore, you can testify that you have heard my voice and know of my, and know my words. Why can you do that? How can we all do that? Because we have his words written. We have the words of the prophets. And as we hear his words and, and act, we will begin to see ourselves the way he sees us. We will see others as they 
see themselves, or he sees them, I mean. Elder Kim B. Clark said, if we look to our, to Christ and open our eyes and our ears, the Holy Ghost, open our ears, starting over. If we look to Christ and open our eyes and our ears, the Holy Ghost will bless us to see the Lord Jesus Christ work in our lives, strengthening our faith in him with assurance and evidence. We increasingly will see all of our brothers and sisters the way God sees them. We will love with compassion. We will hear the Savior's voice in the scriptures, in the whisperings of the Spirit, and in the words of the living prophets. And then in verse 44, the Lord says, And by your hands I will work a marvelous work among the children of men. It happens as we hear him and as we follow those promptings, as we follow what we hear. President Uchtdorf, uh, then President Uchtdorf in 2010 said, As we emulate the Savior's perfect example, our hands can become his hands, our eyes, his eyes, our heart, his heart. Let our hearts and hands be stretched out in compassion towards others, for everyone is walking in his or own, her own difficult path. As disciples of Jesus Christ, our Master, we are called to support and heal rather than condemn. Let us to commit to become his hands that others through us may feel his loving embrace. And I would add that through us, others may hear his voice and start and start or continue their own journey. And this circles back kind of a little bit, and you'll see why I maybe spent a little bit more time than normal in the introductory episode about talking about my purpose of the of the episode or of the of the podcast in general is that my hope is that through me in some small way you can hear the word of the lord through to you in a way that will want make you want to go and hear more of it to you through the scriptures and through the doctrine or through the doctrine covenants through the conference talks through other church related materials that the lord will speak to you as you go seek those words. Um, I thank you for joining me this week and joining me this episode. I hope you join me next episode as we discuss section 19. Uh, thanks again and best of luck. Hope to talk to you soon.